Good afternoon, beautiful people. I'm keeping all my content free of charge so there's complete transparency so everyone can get the benefit of all the information. This is a completely independent podcast, but any monetary support is greatly appreciated. Click the support this podcast link at the end of the episode description for more details. Now back to the show. Due to popular demand, you can subscribe to Kiko's Freethinkers Forum on YouTube. You can watch all of our videos there on our YouTube platform. Now you can also subscribe and listen to any of our audio on Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Podvine, Podbean, Amazon, and different platforms. Please tell your friends and family, and I hope you enjoy your day, beautiful people. Good morning, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. We have episode 31, and I'm presented with a very special guest. His name is Matthew Witt, and he's a professor of public administration at the University of Laverne. That's in Los Angeles County, California. And he has lots of publications to his name. We're going to talk about one in particular today from the Flashpoint in Ukraine book. He has a chapter that I've been reading for the last few weeks. It's called The Labyrinth of Geography in the Time of Imperial Terror which talks about the Russo-Ukrainian war that's going on right now. And he has a lot of other publications that interest me as well. One in particular that we won't talk about today is called The Other Made Black. I read that as well. That was interesting. But one that I do want to share about today is called From Greta Thunberg, who is the climate activist, to The Great Reset. He has an article that talks about um, kind of the connection between the COVID crisis and the World Economic Forum and all these different um, economic situations and problems and how you can't see them as separate entities. And so we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today, not only Russia and Ukraine, but also uh, Greta Thunberg as well. Welcome to the show, Matt, and I appreciate the invitation again, acceptance. Thanks so much, Kiko. It's an honor to be here with you. Yes, you're part of, um, you're guest number two out of three um, in this series of Russia, Ukraine, and the third guest will be Jeffrey Summers that will meet with us March the 21st. And so I want the audience to get a wide ranging um, perspective of this conflict that's going on right now. And we've established yesterday with um, Jack Rasmus that this did not start out of thin air. And I think all of our guests would agree with that assessment. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to sort of combat the corporate news outlets and then narratives that they continuously push to us and kind of get firsthand accounts and um, people who study um, stuff, people who are professors, people who are dedicated to being truth seekers and and not so much into um, lining up their purses and their pocketbooks with um, corporate news money. So, again, I appreciate you accepting the invitation. And I wanted to start by asking you how... Do you see the situation now compared to back then in 2014? Because I'm surprised just all the different chapters I'm reading and the people I talk to, they say that their views haven't changed a whole lot from 2014 to now. What would you say would be some of your changes, if any at all, or have you been pretty consistent about your stance um, in the current conflict? Thank you, Kiko. That's a great question. 
rereading the piece now. It's been several years uh, since since that came out. Um, Stephen Ledman uh, was marvelous to work with. I don't know if you've spoken with him. I haven't spoken with him for some time. Um, he pulled together a broad range of writers, thinkers, et cetera, in that effort. And I think he was very much ahead of the curve and on the bubble on that one. I see what's happening now as the unsurprising continuation of, of what was happening in 2014, which for those paying attention then was the unsurprising continuation of what had happened since 2004, lead to the conclusion that all of this has been in the works for some time. And that we have, you know, a geopolitical um, uh, chess moves, as it were, uh, coming to fruition as staged and planned, uh, going back uh, it, at least into the uh, into the late '90s. And if we are to accept some premises, decades, decades and decades earlier, um, uh, under the scheme of the grand chessboard of Mackinder. So yeah, I'm not surprised at all what's going on. Um, you know, the blowing up of the of the pipe of Nord Stream, all of the circumstantial, if not, if not material evidence indicates the US staged it, made it happen, was in partnership with um Norway and Sweden. Um it, it, this was has been planned for some time and and to the dismay if you if you hear Cy Hirsch or have read his Substack piece on this, to the to the dismay and consternation of our own intelligence communities, who does what it does very carefully out of view, <laughs> but for the hand to be tipped so recklessly by Biden and Victoria Newland uh, and a couple of other, um, you know, sort of uh, spacing the names at the moment. Who, who tipped the hand uh, beforehand. In fact, it wasn't just a, a few. It was, I mean, Ted Cruz was in on calling for, uh, Ted Cruz, the consummate chameleon politician from the right. <laughs> um, I, 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 I cannot give him enough credit for reading tea leaves about how to maneuver himself. You know, that he was tipping the hand. There's a, there's a reel on this. Someone did a mashup recently on all of the people tipping hand on this, oh, <laughs> culminating really? with Biden himself. We're going to take it out. Trust me, we have the means. It's not going to be there anymore. Oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> you know, and and the the utter implausibility of of uh, of Russia taking out a <laughs> I mean, it's making absolutely no sense. And then no attempt for even a fig leaf justification, except to keep repeating uh, the line or avoiding the story altogether, which is in which can be managed easily under the current control of of political institutions by our media. We were talking about some people um, we discussed yesterday. You mentioned Victoria Newland. You mentioned um, um, Biden, obviously. But you know what's interesting, um, Professor Witt? There's one person. Even in the conversation that we had yesterday in the first installment that I haven't heard yet, there's a name I haven't heard. His name is Barack Obama. And I bring his name up because this activity happened during his presidency. And when I was reading your article, I don't know if it was from a sarcastic point of view or not, but you seem to be giving Obama 
a little bit of the benefit of the doubt when it came to what the neo the no neocons plans were when it came to the Russia Ukraine situation then. What would your assessment be of that or whatever? Is that a mischaracterization or were you kind of going in sort of giving him the benefit of the doubt before you concluded that it was probably part of the whole conspiracy? Pico, I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. Um, you have that you have that right. Ex post facto, we can see, uh, particularly with his rhetoric following on in, later in his administration towards all things Ukraine and Putin, uh, that he he either was flipped or he was always to script where he could occupy the middle and then rhetorically, tactically maneuver his way uh, um, in any particular direction. Obama has to be credited as, if not nearly as great, as great, perhaps greater, a political tactician than Ronald Reagan in his capacity to be mercurial and um, persuasive, astonishingly talented, every bit a deep state player, absolutely <laughs> briefed into the deep state, completely to the bottom of it, uh, almost certainly, uh, at least as much as uh, as anyone else, Bill Clinton, George Bush, and so on. I think he's absolutely been briefed into the bottom of it. Yeah, it's just um, it's interesting because this all this happened during, um, and then you had other situations with Syria, you had Libya, you had Benghazi, you had everything else going on. Yes, and it's just um, you know you have to conclude at some point that that just that stuff just doesn't happen by chance because no. this is uh, in the name of his foreign policy or yeah. her foreign policy, yeah. and we see that there's a consistent line of U.S. foreign policy which involves. Um, the justification of war, whether it's a proxy war or, you know, the troops themselves going on the ground into these areas. And um, we talked about, we kind of said that tone with the history, but um, I was thinking about this term that you brought up in your article um, from Flashpoint in Ukraine. You kept talking about the Washington consensus. And can you kind of um, enlighten the audience what is the Washington consensus? And how does that play into the current situation with Ukraine and Russia? You bet, uh, Kiko. It's a great question because that um, mantra, basically, which was a circular logic uh, founded on the premise that um, above the fray of otherwise ideological uh, politics and divide, uh, there was a consensus among the state elites, um, including, you know, the apparatchiks that come in and out of State Department back into academia, the consulting and um, speaking circuit, um, that the consensus would have it that, um, you know, with the fall of the Soviet economic orthodoxy of neoliberalism um, now stood unrivaled a triumphant uh, uh, across the world, and for anyone, uh, for anyone willing to accept its premises of rigorous control of uh, state spending, um, particularly with regard to social supports, um, pensions, um, medical care, uh, uh, Medicare for all, 
uh, in its um, incarnation across the globe in developing nations, uh, devotions to um, uh, you know, modest uh, tariff protections against um, you know, uh, global uh, finance and corporations that would have them, uh, these um, uh, hobbled economies one way or the other hobbled uh, under the under the yoke of colonial powers for centuries, you know, that all of that had to yield to um, the protocols of the International Monetary Fund, uh, what it calls for structural adjustment programs uh, to privatize leasing of uh, rights, mineral rights uh, to um, foreign nationals, uh, to subject currencies uh, to um, free-floating currency uh, evaluations, uh, and in general, um, impose a tyranny of debt, of, of, a, of, a, of a menu of debt options and obligations on developing uh, countries whose only asset is their raw resources, whose only asset is what they have uh, still have um, uh, mostly underground. The consensus was... Um, a laundering of this set of protocols that are neocolonial through and through. Uh, but with the fall of the Soviet and well-placed editorials and op-eds giving account of uh, its lingering influence on developing nations and their um, positions towards global capital and their, their resistance and their, given their resistance, their proclivity then seamlessly into what the West would call, you know, um, uh, opportunistic populist demagogues, Chavez, Hussein, the list goes on and on and, and corresponds remarkably closely with what Wesley Clark, um, when Wesley Clark said the quiet part out loud on Democracy Now! about the seven nations that were slated to fall that he was briefed in, when he was Joint Chiefs, uh, when he was uh, his position with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Wesley Clark, formerly Army um, Army General, mm -hmm. um, that was his division, and he uh, you know, he said, you know, it's it's you know, it would start with a schedule of of collapse of of uh, countries. Iraq was only the only the first. Um, then would be Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, and Sudan, and then back to Iran. So uh, all of which fell except for Iran. We've never, we've although we've had um, bombastic and um, militant and extremely dangerous um, rhetorical brinkmanship toward Iran uh, for decades. Um, we've never managed to stage, yeah, a, a, um, a coup from within successfully. Um, we have not managed to subject Iran uh, to author of economic hitman, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Um, John Perkins would would describe um, culminating with, you know, all sorts of um, offers they couldn't refuse. Iran has consistently refused our offers uh, to um, abide our programs for incorporating it into our um, geopolitics. And now we have it aligned in the BRIC coalition and um, uh, uh, more, in a way more threatening than ever. I don't know if I've answered or drifted too much off your point of Washington consensus, but in a nutshell, I think maybe that covers it. Uh, I'd say so. Um, I was jotting notes while you were 
um, talking about the Washington census and you mentioned um, the debt crisis and that's one of the immediate things that stood out reading your article and Rasmus's article is um, I almost feel like Ukraine is being used as um, a justification to just pile up more debt because you mentioned the pensions and from what I understand reading um, the collection of articles um, in this book, Flashpoint in Ukraine, the pensions of the Ukrainian citizens themselves are being basically cut into because of this constant war. And um, so you have an economic um, crisis going on. It's not just because it's easy to scapegoat Ukrainian people, but it's our government that's funding these wars. I mean, it, it, it takes somebody to fund the wars and you mentioned these international financial institutions like the World Bank, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, uh, the U.S. Treasury. I mean, you have all these different financial co corporations and entities funding these projects. I mean, somebody has to fund this stuff. So I guess I would warn my audience to be careful, um, you know, blaming Ukraine. or that, That's why we got to get away from the binaries, you know, pro-Russia, pro-Ukraine. Um, anti-Ukraine, anti-Russia. We got to get away from the Bidens because these are real people that are suffering. Um, we're suffering too, and we're going to feel the consequences of this. We are feeling the consequences of it um, because ultimately, the everyday citizens are going to get the brunt of the um, of the oppression from these types of military actions. So, I, I want my audience to know that it's not just affecting the citizens here and our economy. But the Ukrainian citizens there and their middle class, their lower class, their lower income families and stuff are gravely affected by these actions and and, and probably Russia, too. So um, I don't want it to be like this um, pointing fingers contest because everyday citizens are struggling. And um, I think the media does a good job of that as uh, presenting the United States as the savior. And then, you know, Ukraine, we have to save Ukraine is so crucial to our humanity even though they're committing inhuman acts right now with the, all the killings and stuff. I mean, it's absolutely disgusting if you think about it, just um, uh, just the, the humane aspect of it alone, aside from the financial crisis itself. But um, did you have a response to that? And I had a curious question about what you refer to as transition economies. Sure. With regard only to affirm everything you just said about the consequences of the Ukrainian war for everyday people on the ground in Ukraine, to say nothing of also U.S., Germany, uh, Europe, um, with the uh, tactical um, uh, with the tactical uh, explosion of of gas. That's no small threat um, to the circumstances of fixed income and not so fixed income uh, German people. Um, and and other parts of Europe because Germany was reselling uh, surplus that it uh, took in enormous batches uh, on contract from Russia and reselling it to other markets in Europe. Um, that's how that's how cheap the gas was coming from Russia. So, um, uh, but there now that it's this is precipitated the Nord Stream explosion has precipitated a major uh, heating crisis at at at, at um, with perfect timing. Uh, so the yes and yes, the to say nothing of the propaganda blitz on the American people on the heels of of 
the propaganda blitz that was COVID. Um, and on, there's many ways to look at the pairing of those. We maybe will go there later, um, but that um, Ukraine has represented a, um, a, a, a tactical geopolitical space for some time is undisputed. Um, that we have to narrativize all of that in terms of American pieties and freedoms and virtue signal and and cue up the liberal taste for righteous declamations of all things Russian and Putin and the the prodding of that for many years and I couldn't I stopped counting on my hand all the friends with PhDs who spout <laughs> talking points from the New York Times as if that's as if that's as if that's fidelity to their creed and craft as professional intellectuals it's astonishing mm -hmm. uh, the willingness to succumb to this propaganda which is which is scientifically derived and seamlessly woven into the everyday construction of self purpose in society in the United States it's 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 astonishing there I'd like to come back to that at some point and and the study of, that was that I've recently come across from uh, alerted to by a blogger I respect a lot, um, Toby Rogers. Um, he has a substack Utopian. I'll give a plug there for him. Um, and uh, your kind of thinker, Kiko, and I think for your listeners. Uh, but he refers recent in a recent post to um, this was posted Feb 21 how anti-corporate agnetology studies got swamped by pro-corporate misinformation studies. Agnetology um, is the study of the manufacture of ignorance. Um, it was coined by Robert Proctor, Robert, um, and and an edited version of essays from 2008 under the title Agnetology, the Making and Unmaking of Ignorance, edited by um, Proctor and, and Londa uh, Schiebinger. Um, and it describes ways in which toxic industries condition society to accept products that cause harm. Um, and, and so this, it, you know, case studies focus on tobacco industry, of course, um, and but also the pharmaceutical industry. Um, the why I bring it up, and I think a keynote for what I take you wishing for our talk today is the um, the ways in which um, the constructions of narrative around Ukraine, COVID, um, and other crises, emergencies are essentially opportunities walked around the block. And because they otherwise would be challenged under conditions of a sober public uh, that, um, you know, was not locked down, fearful of neighbors, um, terrorized by the specter of pandemic, uh, unable to um, transact any kind of meaningful and even not so meaningful exchanges and discourses that would that 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 we count we, we count on now on the heels of that comes Ukraine. And and anyone, so then comes the um, the misinformation, disinformation, malinformation studies industry, 
that um, uh, Rogers gives account um, as a response to this very probing formulation of agnotology, the study of how ignorance is manufactured. Mm-hmm. So whereas, you know, Chomsky gave us the manufacture of consent, mm-hmm. um, here Proctor and others are giving us the manufacture of ignorance, which one could say precedes consent. You know, you, you, you don't get the consent without going by way of ignorance. And the sort of narrowing of any sense of choice and options, dissent and, and indiv- individual integrity and sovereignty to size up conditions and weigh them in exchange with others without facing constantly the fear of being labeled as conspiracy theorists, as misinformation spreader, which was the new one with COVID, yeah? And with um, and then the you know the spectacular you know you're racist if you question anything about pharmaceutical the intentions of the pharmaceutical companies. Now this is really spellbinding. <laughs> when it was the pharmaceutical companies, arguably that have produced the medical apartheid in the United States, if not across the globe, and so everything that the gangster state has in fact perped from the undoing of Ukraine, from the positioning of so-called civil society um, operations in one state after the other, which are just cutouts for um, deep state maneuvers that are beyond the glare of congressional oversight. <clears throat> uh, and they are their venues for uh, laundering all sorts of cash in country that positions groups like um, the neo-Nazis in Ukraine who deployed on signal almost certainly from Newland to take over parliament and terrorize the country. And, 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 then, we, and then our press very conveniently uh, dismisses, discounts, downplays, and when forced its hand concedes the point, but since we're now in the fog of war, atrocities are on all sides and come on, this band of Nazis, uh, whoever they are, are surely a minority and compare nothing with, um, and and can you blame the conflagration on them when Putin was the aggressor? Mm -hmm. Even Cy Hirsch says Putin will take to his grave. And I had a recent interview with, with him. It's called The Hill, The Hill Rising. The couple of young, I forget their names. One guy is 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 Robbie Suave. Robbie Suave. Yes. Suave. Yeah. Robbie Suave and the gal who they've now put into position. Brianna Joy Gray. Brianna Joy Gray, who was kind of a uh, who was a commentator previously, and really sort of their by far their most um, sort of gifted speaker in their um, stable of whom they had. They got rid of who they couldn't control, who is either a, a ridiculous embarrassment. What's his name? Ryan, Ryan Grimm. Ryan Grimm. Grimm uh, Rivers, what they call him. <laughs> yeah, he, he was an embarrassment for missteps. And then, and then they got rid of, I'm spacing her name because she was actually throwing real punches. Um, Kim Iverson. Kim Iverson. Thank you, Kiko. Mm-hmm. Um, and she posted up independently on her own. And, and she's, uh, she, she was excellent during COVID. Um, very careful, very measured, but hard hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he got suave and and Brianna Joy Grit, and and they they play the fools if they're not actually. But seeing <laughs> them 
seeing them interview Hirsch, who in the case of Brianna Joy Gray had thrown all sorts of just bloated, rhetorically bloated criticisms at that were straw man arguments and just kind of the puff ball nothing weeks ago, then to see her engage Hirsch and see him manage these two was pretty extraordinary and a huge credit to Hirsch for um for for and and credit to both Joy Gray and and Suave for um seeding the weight of his argument and his logic and his defense of 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 keeping sources uh, confidential when they kept pushing can you give us any hint no if you're a real journalist you'd understand why he can't so why are you even picking that bone mm -hmm. so he dismissed them very handily uh he's been doing this for decades this isn't his first rodeo by a long shot he knows that but he's extremely adroit in that space why i bring that up it, even Hirsch said, you know, Putin is going to have to take to his grave responsibility for starting this war. Full stop. Nothing from Hirsch in this interview that I recall about everything the United States did to instigate his actions. Leaving him no choice at some point um, in the sequence of moves. Going back at least to 2004, the Maidan the color revolution of 2004, which set up the sequences for the crisis, the flashpoint, as it were, in 2014, and then where we find ourselves now. But nothing from Hirsch on all of those maneuvers. He dropped one. He said, yeah, yeah, you know, sort of NATO's been encroaching on Ukraine and yeah, yeah. But mm -hmm. I don't know which it's not that important. Uh, but by way of establishing how these moves happened, imagine Russia in Mexico. Yeah, that's the same example that um, um, Rasmus brought up yesterday. Jack Rasmus brought up the same example yesterday. Just imagine if if we were, if Mexico was Russia, and, and you're talking about the territories that used to be a part of Mexico, <laughs> just like eastern Ukraine. You have majority Russian populations there in eastern Ukraine, but people here don't seem to understand that. I think that's what it is, is because they've already been drawn into that the coma because of the narrative that's already been set about, okay, Ukraine is, is part of us, basically, is the way they sell it. But they don't talk about anything because people here have a very low quality of information when it comes to geography, I think. Um, just the people I talk to. Um, they couldn't even identify most of these countries on a map, like in Eastern Europe or anywhere. True. And so they play on people's ignorance when it comes to geography and politics. And um, because I know I know a lot of people who are politically conscious, but when it comes to geopolitical and foreign affairs, they have very low information base when it comes to that. But they may be stronger on social issues like the justice system or something, but they don't have a clue about foreign policy or anything at all. It's just... I think they exploit that and they know that they're exploiting that out mm -hmm. of people. And I think people get to a certain point where even with Cy Hirsch, like you were saying, I think that there's this uh, pressure to um, go against people within your circles. And this is really prevalent in academia where um, 
Kiko and Matt can't take a stance that's too far out there because you're going to be affiliated with the, the opposition. I, I get this all the time. And but do you realize that the opposition is just like your, the, the fellow citizens of the country? I mean, the same people who you are demonizing, like you said, during the COVID um, situation and everything else. That's how they played it. They've done a good job of villainizing everyone, you know, depending on what the topic is. And it can be just an array of topics, but like you've eloquently explained and you talked about in your articles, even this newer one that you published last year, I think it was May of 2022, from Greta to the Great Reset, making emergencies work. You talk a lot about how every crisis has to have chess pieces on the board. Like every crisis has to have not only a funding base, but it has to have people and the figureheads that are operating, whether they're controlling Greta Thunberg or anybody else that could be well-intentioned at one point, but they have to at some point succumb to the system. What we call the deep state that people think is a conspiracy theory, but it's not. I mean, if you really think about it, it's just a complex, intricate networking of people who control the world. I mean, World Economic Forum, all these people. I think that's what people struggle with. They can't piece all this stuff together. And the D-State is aware that these people cannot piece. How does foreign policy in Ukraine, how does that connect with the debt crisis here? How does that connect with the criminal justice system here? They can't connect the dots. And I think that they've exploited that so well with people because it makes you think a lot more. A voice that comes to mind that does a marvelous job is Glenn Ford, the um, uh, Black Agenda Report. Oh, yes, definitely, yeah. Um, if you haven't yet, maybe you'd consider having Ford on um, in terms of making connections that otherwise um, short circuit, you know, the good liberal, um, the the indoctrinated liberal uh, who otherwise would like to believe they're sufficiently informed, informed about all matters um, race related matters, you know, sort of class related you know they've they're they've they've learned the the, the politesse of of being of of being correct mm-hmm. in in uh, uh, according to the pieties correct Ford is really outstanding with uh, you have to go back word. and you have to go back and um you have to listen to episode four with Margaret Kimberly I interviewed the co-founder of the black agenda report Glenn Ford actually passed last year. He just passed. I'm sorry. Oh gosh, that's he had just passed. I think it may have been back in September because okay. um Black Agenda Report did an op-ed on him and talked about like his legacy and helping found the Black Agenda Report and just all of his like um civil rights advocacy just throughout the years and stuff. But um yes, I was able to to interview Margaret Kimberly and she'll probably be back on the forum um at a later time. But yeah. We talked a lot about this game of um, the manipulation of populations, and we call it blackface. It's basically the modern version of blackface, where you don't even you don't have to use white people's faces anymore. You just use black people, and they somehow represent every other black person <laughs> in this space. I mean, it's absolutely absurd, but they've been successful at doing that, um, unfortunately, and we know that. The Democrats in, in particular does a good job of that. But um, the Republicans are even now, of course, they're going to naturally pick up on that allegiance and 
the messaging because they're they're the rivals to the Democrats, and so they're going to use the same virtue signaling and the and the symbolism, this fake symbolism, to kind of um get people on their messaging. Yeah, I mean, if we had more time or another time to speak, uh, I on this issue of uh, the inversion of poly, party politics, uh, inversions, conversions. Um, of party policy in the United States, I would I would love to. Um, what's astonishing to me on that point, not to drift off here from Ukraine focus and where you wanted to go with that in a time. No, 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 you're good. No, the, the Ukraine stuff is fine. I mean, it's all within context or whatever. We can we can go back to Ukraine, but no, keep on with your point. The um, what's astonishing to me, Kiko, is the flipping that we're seeing of um, party discourse allegiances. So whereas I I never would have imagined Tucker Carlson of all people, um, you know, speaking to someone like Jimmy Dore, mm-hmm. in fact, in a long form interview, host, uh, hosting a, a long form interview with Jimmy Dore. And, and that Jimmy Dore, a guy like Jimmy Dore, who's classic old school leftist with a lot of integrity sticking to his principles and taking huge hits to his career to say nothing of friendships and so on and the constant threat of slander for what he does with his podcast right jimmy Dore sitting down with tucker carlson um and like tucker carlson tucker carlson fox news reliably across his career very you know, sort of um, a dandy conservative. Um, you know, forever he wore the bow tie. He's played kind of the, <laughs> the crossfire right, days. He, yeah, he played kind of a dandy and a um, uh, like a flaneur. You know, like this guy that was above it and a bit like um, old school. Ah, oh, the name will come back to me. Buckley, William. William oh, Buckley. yeah, I know you're talking about. Yeah, he, he, you know, Carlson apes a bit of a Buckley with nowhere near Buckley's intellectual chops. Right. Um, but I respect what Carlson's been doing and the care he's taken in transitioning to criticisms that I, as an old school left, can get with, <laughs> you know, and where Door. Um, a comedian, right? That's his charisma as a comedian. He he flipped to podcasting when he got, uh, he was with the Young Turks for a hot minute. And then he got um, bu- completely bumped out because he refused to go along with their, uh, their, their caving in party politics on Medicare and the collapse of the so-called squad, uh, the capitulation of the squad to Pelosi, um, and also his refusal to accept that the narrative on the Putin stealing the election. Um, and he, he's out early on Syria. He was there beginning to size up the fix being in. And it took him a bit of, a bit to get there. But, you know, the right sort of Neo-like in the Matrix discovering what he thought he could count on Bernie Sanders, he couldn't, right? That this was all shimmera. This was all the manufacture of... of dissent and breach with the machine politics that had become the Democratic Party, certainly under the Clinton regime, but, you know, beginning to tilt that way with even as with Jimmy Carter, 
you know, the capitulation to Brzezinski and the other influences of the Council on Foreign Relations and the locking in of this geopolitical convergence of consensus culminating the Washington consensus, so-called, of Democrats and Republicans, a high point for the convergence, a low point for those of us who um, dreaded it coming was the declaration of the new Democrats under Clinton, which was really the same old Republicans. <laughs> and then you had the convergence, the, the, the continuing convergence of the alliance between the massive conservative shift of labor um, under um, uh, under Tony Blair uh, that paralleled the relations between Thatcher and, and Reagan. And so you had then this sort of complete blurring of lines over what was to be the the, the new compact of the only nominally uh, distinctive Republican and nominally distinctive Democratic Party. We we eventually got which got narrowed down to matters of a choice and abortion and um, and identity politics. <laughs> and this is all you got to talk about over the that once that got locked in. Um, it was all we it was all we could discuss and and everything else was out of bounds more and more out of bounds and elusive and this eventually coincided with it was 2014 the Smith modernization act previous to which it was against the law for um state department and allied agencies like the CIA to propagandize the the American people it was against the law going back decades. The mm -hmm. propaganda could only be directed, platformed, disseminated, um, you know, uh, licensed. When it was directed, um, you know, to Radio Free Europe, Radio Free Cuba, right? But 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 verboten to channel uh, the organs of propaganda directly on American people. Smith modernization, which happened under Obama pulled all the pegs on that. Now it was legal for the United States organs of state uh, with their um, with the apparatus of the media to lie directly to the American people with impunity. Mm -hmm. Propagandize the American people with impunity. Culminating, I, I would say most recently with a January 6th um, insurrection that was not. Insurrection. <laughs> this, 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 and the and back to Carlson for what it's worth. And you can you can be dubious of Carlson for all sorts of reasons. I'm not. You, hey, this is no hagiography of of Tucker Carlson, but that he's willing to host a counter propaganda inquiry, and that he is, it would seem, one way or the other, in a privileged position to do so at Fox is kind of remarkable. Most recent right disclosure is the video um, log that the Republicans forced out uh, of whichever agency had provenance over the video log of what happened January 6th in the, in the hallways of, of Congress, of the Capitol, um, and you know, making very clear that claims about what happened uh, were lies. Uh, flagrant lies in mm -hmm. three or four instances. Um, then there's the notoriousness of Ray Epps, um, who's there and not there, who is uh, who's who's almost certainly an asset um, off, on contract with FBI as an instigator and provocateur, 
who many eyewitnesses said was fulfilling that role perfectly, um, of course, all dismissed, that this now is the next next to blow up. I, 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 I this all of this goes back. <laughs> Everything mm -hmm. goes back, right? And to your excellent point, Tico, about the bewilderment of the American people before the complexities that you and I have time and privilege to kind of probe and get into, right? It's kind of our job, our vocation, even for the most curious, unenfranchised citizen type. It's virtually impossible now because of the noise machine and the flooding of channel of, of where the real source of malinformation, misinformation, disinformation is the U.S. government. It always has been the mm -hmm. real source. And at some point, I know we're running short on time, I'd, I'd love to get back around to, you mentioned reading a piece by me, The Other Made Black. Um, for many years, I worked on race issues and the influence of them on the, the scholarly output of public administration um, work and the, 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 the marginalization of matters of race and racialization in the discourse of public administration theory and scholarship. Um, and I kind of dug in and I, by way of fracturing the capacity of the American people to decipher and decode first among equal deceptions in this country, which has to do with the social construction of race as a real thing when it's absolutely a no thing, has to be given account and I for us to start breaking down the right the blinkers in, in my opinion mm -hmm. uh, because if that doesn't happen um the the day-to-day the -day circumstances of Americans have been so racialized that in order for them to see past the shimmera and deceptions and propaganda um, projecting them always outward, they, they if they do not see what is inward, um, I'm afraid. My premise is that we will always succumb to a kind of um, somnambulism, uh, a sleepwalking through what otherwise could wake us up. I I think that the matters, and I I've always thought matters of race are hugely important to breaking the code for Americans. To understand that that first among first among many deceptions has laid groundwork uh, for the blinkering, the snookering, uh, the gaslighting of of the great many of us um, who otherwise would have forged common cause long ago collectively together uh, because we we were taught to see race we never saw it in the first place. Uh, mm. That was a huge threat. Testament to which is given by, um, you know, the the decade of assassinations of the 60s, um, the the assassinations we know about and those that we don't know about um, that are, are, the public has no idea uh, were actually actually happened. Uh, Sam Cooke, almost certainly a hit by the state. Show me the average, as it were, white person who has any idea about that. <laughs> uh, you know, they they and that what little more they know about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King had a Secret Service uh, detail 
and and early and continuous notifications of any threats against him until he started speaking about Vietnam. Until mm-hmm. when he when he started talking about the Poor People's Campaign, and because he saw clearly, and always did, his calendar date with that particular fate was inevitable. Almost certainly, he was aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that to forge common cause between working whites, um, you know, Anglo ethnics, and the black experience, um, and 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 the, the the other other ethnic experience in the U.S. That was that was the move that got him killed. So long as he could be relied upon to hew to the narrative that um, that this was uh, a coming of age. Uh, for the country to uh, to to concede a certain smidges of civil rights, um, yeah, he was useful for a, as a wedge figure mm-hmm. uh, in party politics, and and he was useful. He was useful to them also for retiring the criticism from the South that was very legitimate about the origins of the war, um, who really assassinated Abraham Lincoln, which was, you know, uh, uh, Wilkes Booth was a British agent. Lincoln was killed because of his moves against the financial syndicate that Britain was central to with his um, pledge to uh, authorize um, print and utilization of the greenback. So his signal that he would refuse to concede currency that would continuously establish debt with Britain mm-hmm. is what got him killed. Um, Malcolm X was killed when he began speaking ecumenically across sides uh, for peace. You know that those the peacemakers, those who challenged the international cabal. Uh, of imperial financial interests, they they're they're killed for that reason. Up mm-hmm. until that point, they can be useful for narratives that um, deflect or um, uh, um, otherwise um, fold under the consciousness uh, a more critical discussion of what's going on. I don't. Yeah, when I bring up the South, that's not to say the the deeply paranoid delusional racism of the south um from way back because of the existential threat that many higher numbers of slaves posed <laughs> that black people posed to white people that were subjecting them to those cruelties i that is 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 logical enough the narrative of of racial hierarchy and case was just a convenience to rationalize uh, um, what what they saw needing done in a very in a basically an occupied state where they were at constant threat of being overrun as would eventually happen in Haiti. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know it, that it became racialized was to sell poor whites on the idea that where they had nothing otherwise they had the endowment of race and 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 that legacy to bank their esteem on. I don't think I'm saying anything terribly radical here. Do you do you have another half hour or do you have to go? I have some more time. I can talk more. Okay, I because 
when you said cut it short, I was like, no, don't cut it short. If you got time, I'm good. I'm good for another half hour at least. So sure. just so you know. But I wanted to bring up something that you talked about. You talked about Carlson and Dor. Um, I will push back some of that. And and you're entitled to your opinion. And so I, I follow Dor a little bit, but honestly, and we've talked a little bit about it on the forum. I kind of avoid the Jimmy Dor stuff because um I don't think he's as genuine as you're portraying it. Um, okay. I, I get I get the appeal. I think that that's a great message to work across class lines and racial lines. I, I, I wish, I want to believe that he's been genuine, but I don't believe it. Okay. I don't believe that Carson is genuine either. I okay. honestly believe that's part of capitalism, personally. I yeah. think that they're both fueled by their audience engagement because they see their numbers growing. So what does Carson have to lose to bring someone like Jimmy Dore on, who, who's obviously, if you look at his, um, I'm, I'm not going to call the Fox viewers like ignorant people, but they have a certain level of ignorance when it comes to the party affiliation stuff with the red team and the blue team. They're just yes. as ignorant as the MSNBC crowd with Richard yes. Maddow. And yes, so yes. I think that that's just, Dore yes. adds a nuanced element to the left because he's not, because he overtly talks against the Democratic Party and their agenda and stuff. And he does to the Republicans, too. I mean, but I think he he massages it a way to where he can get in that audience because they're like, oh, well, at least he's not a Democrat. That's what the Fox viewer is watching. I don't think that they're connecting the dots between he's bringing together anti-war sentiments and class divisions and racial divisions all together and trying to understand this melting pot of um, intersectionalities of people. I don't think that that's what the people are getting out of it at all, just based on just talking to people in the comments. I just think that they like it, that they're getting another angle of dissent against the Democrats or whoever else they don't like. I just, I, I think it's more audience engagement. And even the way George sets his podcast up is, to me, it's very clickbaity. And if you compare that to my forum, it's very much intimate discussion. Yeah. And okay. I don't know. I, I just think that Jimmy Dore says the things that we already think just louder, honestly. That's just me. I don't think he's this special, um, important figure in the movement of any kind. I just think that he's uh, an elevated voice. And honestly, I found out about him because of when he left the Young Turks. I mean, he talk, He still talks stuff about the Young Turks now. I'm like, dude, that happened how long ago? Like seven years ago? And you're still talking about something that happened in 2016 with you and Anna Kasparian? I just think that all these channels are like that, these these quote-unquote leftist channels and the conservative ones. They're set up to where they have this embedded enemy within. They have this YouTube, this bread tube enemy, which is like a whole block of people. So even the people that I used to follow, like the revolutionary blackout people, they have arguments with the Vanguard. They don't like Kim Iverson. They don't like um, the Hill. They don't like um, breaking points with Sauger and Crystal. And then you have the other people who don't like their people. I don't get into that stuff here at all. And and I like Jimmy Dore's approach and stuff, but that's where I see there's a, a vast separation with me ideologically and people like him. I think he's in for clout chasing personally. I want to believe that he's in for the right reasons. Like I know he's been he's been to some of the anti-war rallies, and I commend him for that. I commend him for um, his stances on unions and stuff. 
But I also think that he's growing his base too. I think I think it comes down to him growing his base because he has a lot of conservatives that follow his channel and stuff. And maybe he will bring those people together and they can understand. As long as those people can understand that this is a class struggle and not just identity politics stuff, maybe I can get on board with it. I just, I'm not convinced yet. I haven't seen enough to convince myself of that yet. I appreciate your, your, your as it were, pushback critique. One factor here uh, to determine is the viewership of both. And, and to your point, growing it, Carlson is now pulling, the last I heard, I, I'd have to go back and check the source, Kiko, but we can confirm that. He's pulling a growing Democratic viewership, a sort of mid, you know, sort of a swing vote type of mm -hmm. Democrat, right? And that he's that's significant. Again, I don't, I I am, I'll confess a soft spot for Dorr because maybe no, I can relate, maybe I can relate, I can relate to his anger. I can I, I I respect his willingness his his suffering the indignities of lost friends from COVID which I've suffered mm -hmm. um, and colleagues that won't talk to you and I, I and I've 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 established nowhere nothing like the profile he has with his million viewers with my you know you know three dozen call it so there's not a <laughs> I just my my empathy for what I understand him doing is there because I you we can feel that mm -hmm. um it's a phenomenon that I'm struck by it's not so much the personalities it's a phenomenon the extent to, the extent to which door gives voice to class politics where you can find it virtually nowhere else certainly nowhere distinctive he's distinctive for being one of extremely few, um, and that he is utterly disenfranchised of the mainstream mm -hmm. is is relevant in that regard, and that the platform of internet and YouTube up to a point, of course, but now the move to Rumble, because you can actually say something about COVID Rumble that's honest and not, and that really bugs me about Doris, mm -hmm. that he'll, he'll continue to speak just so that he doesn't get tagged by YouTube, right? He'll continue to say, well, yeah, of course, even though it's mocking, it's still it's 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 maddening what he says mm -hmm. about he'll say a throw off about the vaccines. Um, but early in this, he talked about being vaccine injured. He taught, you know, and he got into all that in ways that were out front. I So I give him props for that. My the, Your point's well taken is, yeah, but is he clickbaiting? Is he mining for viewership according to formula? Uh, is he becoming? Uh, is he becoming merely that wait and see? Um, I, I don't I don't feel like I'm a choice maker. I'm a choice taker. I'll take whatever I can get to find, I know anyone, you know, anyone. I'll take Carlson. I'll take anybody um, that is willing to at least give voice mm -hmm. to however limited the hangout might be. So long as they don't make hermetic. The limited hangout you know mm -hmm. the, the, the limited hangout that's hermetic says don't look is a gaslight don't look over here mm -hmm. so for instance the limited hangout on um the wuhan lab premise and that F fbi is even mm -hmm. willing but in very very uh uh clipped and equivocal 
statement by the FBI director wanting to say, you know, it's logical and possible. I wouldn't don't know if it's plausible. I guess it could be. But, you know, there's all sorts of ways it looks it looks pretty damn fishy. <laughs> all of these sort of equivocations that we ought to denounce for what they are um, get rolled up into this into something very ominous, which is people that you could count on to be really critical are so hungry, so desperate to believe again, or at least not be terrorized by the specter of what the World Economic Forum has in mind for us. Mm -hmm. that, that any kind of pushback to grab onto that, you see, it was, you see, the state can be counted on. You see, there are white hats. You see, it is not monolithic. It is not a cabal. It mm -hmm. is. It, it is. Democracy is still there. There's a glimmer. There's a flicker. Protect that flame. And and the the sinisterness of that to me is that we stop paying attention to this is probably another trick because uh -huh. you're going to let us see only part. And the Wuhan leak is so seamlessly goes with China did it. You know, <laughs> China didn't do it. Okay, we that was a contract from the U.S. government to that lab. We built that. We set it up. We contracted it. Mm -hmm. And then we have what we know, but then stop talking about, you know, the, <laughs> the, we, we know Fauci and Dazak's role in setting all of this up. We, we, we know that. But then we stop. We stop. Talking, we stop talking about the emails they had about going after any dissidents. We know that from the. Twitter file leak. Thank you, Elon Musk. I don't have to love Elon Musk, but thank you. Um, uh, there's the October 19 event 201 staged by John Hopkins University. John mm -hmm. Hopkins University, a reliable institution for um, eugenic uh, inquiry and normalization going back decades and decades and decades. Yeah, there's 2017 invoices for COVID-19 test kits. COVID-19 test kits going back to 2017, being manufactured mm -hmm. three years before it was a thing. Well, you even had alluded to that in your article about, um, I mean, there's stuff on YouTube, at least it was still on there. I don't know what the censorship, they may have taken it down. But I mean, these people themselves... Um, had already said that there was going to be an epidemic. There was going to be a pandemic. I mean, so I, Fauci, right. stuff, I mean, Fauci had said in 2017, it's coming. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like, but see, I think that's the, um, that that's a lot to take in for average people though. This forum is almost like trying to sort of do what door is doing, but almost on the intimate level, because, I think there's a risk of sort of avoiding if we focus too much on World Economic Forum and too much on the deep state and too much on this. We also have to deal with like individual day by day operations, too. And I think that that's where it's hard to find a balance um, because we do have our own personal identities and everything else invested in this world. And those identities are important, but the way that they become commercialized does trivialize them and, and and it doesn't bring out the humanity out of people and and that's kind of what i'm sort of dealing with is um showing that this humanity matters but 
you have to convince people, how does this matter? Like, show me, Kiko, how does this matter? And I think that's the goal of the forum is to bring together all these different intersectionalities of political thought, personal identities, but, but sort of tie that into history and how that's going to form our future. But we have to control that future. We can't let other people control it for us. But, but we can only do that by um, talking to each other. You know, that's the crucial part. We have to. So I definitely commend people who are trying to reach across different spectrums and stuff. But even then, that can be vacuums that are left open. And I believe even with people like that, I believe that their vacuums open. They don't talk about certain issues like um, like that. You hear a lot about LGBTQ um, issues now, but it's very much um, thrown into a culture war lens. It's not thrown into um, disgruntled LGBTQ people who don't fall into political affiliations like the media wants you to believe or racial minority groups who don't fall into these um, think tank groups like the media wants you to believe that that most people they're just like everyday people who don't uh, they don't fall into these boxes that people try to put them in boxes but they're not part of those boxes and so I think that that's the that's the only thing about it is understanding these identities and analyzing them because they are important to me because I do this for a living. Like I studied black men, for instance, in literature, Latin American Caribbean, but I have to do it from a social class, racial lens, economics. I can't just do it based on blackness because if you do that, you're limiting yourself. You are making it, you are opening yourself up to just, Oh, this person's all about identity politics. No, it does become identity politics when all you talk about is just that one line of thought. You have to make it cross over into other avenues, and that's when people start to understand it more. But I don't think we have enough people that are teaching that. I don't think people are teaching across class lines and racial lines and making it make sense to people on purpose. I think that's happening because people have their own political baggage, and they can't break away from their baggage in order to inform the people so that they can learn from each other. I think that's what's happening. I couldn't agree more. I, mm -hmm. this, is a, a, this is the pandemic uh, that has been uh, low-grade fever oh, man. in this country <laughs> for, for a while, and the fever is spiking now with the ghettoization of issues that otherwise are very relevant uh, uh, under circumstances of substantive due process, um, uh, procedural due process rights in a democracy. Um, how those issues have become made esoteric and have been essentialized beyond the pale, uh, where there's no there there at the middle because there never was a there there to being um, a plural pronoun. There, there, there is no there there. there it's to sensationalize what should be a given, equal rights before the law and um, judicious rectification um, before the courts uh, where those rights have been deprived. Uh, is now become a um, bloated, um, circular, hortatory rhetoric 
with academic departments devoted to <laughs> parsing parsing absurd and substanceless distinctions, uh, uh, distinctions without a difference, and um, crowding out, as has always been the objective, discussions about class and access to the means of production, and more than ever under the specter of an internet of bodies, which is would make Orwell blanch if he were to consider it today. So I, it's yes and yes, Kiko. I, it, never to dismiss the pertinence of and the uh, and the viciousness and effectiveness of otherings of all kinds, but to refuse considering the purposes that those serve. Mm -hmm. You know, as if taking them all uh, to be merely relevant in interpersonal exchanges, mm -hmm. having nothing to do with institutional practices, is one spectacular hustle and, uh, yes, and a, and a um, betrayal of the legacy of that other that would be otherwise hailed on this or that Martin Luther King Day. Mm. You know, what is paraded on that day is an insult to the memory. I couldn't agree more with that. Um, you're exactly right with that. I, I, I don't have anything to say against that point of view at all. I did want to talk about some in the concluding 10 minutes with um, you brought up, you, we talked about COVID, some you made references to COVID. And um, just reading your from Greta to the Great Reset, I honestly, when I first read that, I was like, okay, how do I connect that? And we don't even have to make a connection, but there always is a connection. And I think if the audience kind of analyzes it and they can see um, that there has to be a financial backing source, it, that things go back to money, you know, and and control. And so that that's the first thing I saw when I um, read your chapter from Flashpoint in Ukraine and from Greta to the Great Reset, making the emergencies work, because there has to be something going on. I thought about uh, yesterday, we talked about the origins of the war and how all of a sudden we got out of Afghanistan, That how that wasn't just something that was not part of the plan. Of course, that was part of the plan. We got out of there so we could get into something else. I mean, it, it, that's all it was. I mean, it's all all these things that these puppets do. Like they're all part of a plan. The puppets that we see in the suits and the ties and on television, they're simply just messaging what the real people behind the scenes are doing. Um, and these IMF people and these central banks around the world and stuff. I mean, these people are the ones that are funding all these disasters, and um, and and honestly creating the crises themselves. I mean, going back to Fauci, you mentioned uh, Anthony Fauci. But I thought about when I was reading this article from Greta to the Great Reset, the ties that you made with Thunberg and her family. You're right, the media made it seem like when she first got on the scene that she was just this innocent girl, a climate activist, but they didn't even talk about her family. Like they completely just left it out of the equation. And I kind of want you to expand more on that 
And then I thought about a court case from 1927 based on your article, and I'll talk about that in a second. Sure thing. Um, in, the case of, in the case of Greta Thunberg, her family has a long pedigreed um, uh, connection going back to a great-great-great-grandfather um, who was uh, um, actually a climate scientist um, and um, uh, relevant to the coining, I believe, of greenhouse effect. Um, I, I may be missing that. I'd have to go back to my piece. It's been a while. But he um, was also affiliated uh, in, in Sweden with the eugenics uh, movement. Sweden was a leader in Europe, a fervent leader in um, race theory, uh, sort of pseudoscience. Uh, and uh, that family lineage, as it were, is there. Um, fast forward. Um, her uh, mother is, uh, is a sometime opera singer and um, you know, has high public profile inducted by uh, the King of Sweden into a Medal of Honor having to do with environmental activism. I cannot recall now the, the honorific conferred her. Her father's a sometime TV actor. Um, uh, their connections uh, to Swedish elite uh, go back and are um, you know, prevalent. Um, their connections to Davos set is uh, is extensive um, that she that she was this valiant Joan of Arc like um, <laughs> youth out of nowhere uh, right stagecraft at its finest uh, evidence to which is um, her complete inarticulateness when off script and confronted by real um, questions and her refusal to engage, her incapacity to engage, her apparent indifference, disinterest in engaging uh, recently at Davos and sort of, you know, tracked down. I can't remember the crew. It's a, as it were, conservative, um, uh, independent media voices sort of tracking her down, but respectfully posing questions to her and then and 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 cross-examining her 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 remarkable obstinate refusal to speak with but wait a minute aren't you don't you have some responsibility as a youth don't you have any interest in what's going on here do you have and she just was incoherent um mm -hmm. studiously incoherent not autistically incoherent studiously incoherent so brushing them off and she had handlers that then went on the attack. By way of saying, Kiko, she was so sincere and such all this and so on. Wouldn't you think she would take the microphone and use that opportunity to speak to an audience, otherwise not dis not favorably disposed to greenhouse gas premises and science? Wouldn't she? Wouldn't her handlers have scripted her to be prepared for that? <laughs> this opportunity, so. But as I get at the piece, and I draw heavily there. I mean, full disclosure, I draw heavily from Corey Morningstar, um, his his um, compilation of the evidence, his forensic compilation of the evidence, shelves somewhere. I'm forgetting the title now, uh, but as it were, the real Greta Thunberg. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, the connect more connections than that. I'm not sure what I've what you'd like. No, no, no. I was going to say, um, episode 18, I talked with Jake Herrico and Jacob. We talked a lot about um, 
against leftist ideologies. We talked about Marxism, but we dedicated a huge segment to the environment and there's these environmental movements, these climate movements, yeah. and how um, there are racist undertones oh. um, because a lot of times there's this white savior complex and in this case it's Thunberg and before her there was this woman um, I wrote her name down, you mentioned her Severn Suzuki yeah. this Canadian activist, climate activist her yeah. dad had big ties to some kind of foundations and get, yeah. was funded. forced to step down by forced media criticism down. of where the funding was coming from mm -hmm. oil companies in the U.S. But but all this to say that just um, the environmental movement itself, you have to question um, all these different agendas, these climate um, agendas. And that's not to say that there's not a climate crisis, but the issue is this. It's still tied to money and someone has to be backing these organizations. And that's the link I drew between um, the current war that's going on and th these climate activist types because they're tied to people, they're people behind those people who have other intentions. And I can only think that the person that's the spokesperson is also involved in the scheme as well. I think these people aren't just simply spokespeople that are innocent. They obviously have handlers. They know exactly what they're doing. They're doing what they're told to do. But I honestly believe that they, um, deep down, there's a sort of naivete and eventually that naiveness wears off because once you see the elevated profile you start getting connected to people who are really starting to call the shots and you see that in the climate um activist realms right now with the sunrise movement like that stuff um is always tied to some sort of a political affiliation that's funded by these big bankers and these big corporations and so why would those big mega corporations have any interest in helping save the earth, the rainforests? Like people have to really start thinking to themselves, what? do you really believe that people are trying to solve the wars and end the wars? You think that these people want the wars to end? They rely on the wars to, to bring the money in. And I know that's would, a very ugly way of looking at it, but that's the reality. What would George Soros, under the laundering of his Open Societies Foundation, mm -hmm. have any interest in Black Lives Mattering? George Soros, mm -hmm. who plundered the Japanese economy. Uh, George Soros, whose um, whose affiliation with the Clintons, omnibus crime bill of 1996, um, his treacherous uh, brinksmanship um, in global markets forever. George Soros cares about black people in America. That hundred million given to Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. That doesn't come without any strings attached. Exactly. But, and, and, is it, and it's crazy. And, and they have their own, I think it's funny, you used a line in your article from Flashpoint, you used a line and said, the CIA-sponsored journalism. Like, I, and you couldn't be any more correct, but people think that that's far-fetched when you say CIA-sponsored journalism, but that's all I can think of is... Um, this stuff is coming from somewhere. I mean, this is not conspiratorial stuff. I mean, this is pretty much, I mean, base knowledge at this point should be, but they've done such a good job with the politifacts of the world and the Snopes and everybody else. If you type in Google, 
is this true or false? And then you got some organization that's funded by the government or whoever it is telling you, no, this is what the truth is. And like, seriously, people don't think about this stuff. You're going to take it for, from a tech company that's funded by and friends with these people. You think that they're going to give you the reality? <laughs> and, you know, to Kiko, perhaps an earlier point you make about the construction of identities and the threat posed to us uh, matrix-like for Neo, when Morpheus confronts him with drawing from Baudrillard, right? The desert of the real. Mm. And the psyche-shattering consequences of that are have to be taken into account. Morpheus says to Neo, you know, I should, you know, I need to tell you that we don't usually take people out of the matrix after a certain age. The trauma is too, is too much. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about here is that as it were, the blue pill crowd, you know, we're, we're, we, we, we're willing to tolerate only so much. I had a very good friend, a very precocious, incredibly bright peer in grad school. He was by far the most talented among our cohort at Portland State University, remain unnamed. But I engaged him on 9-11 many years ago. And then when COVID came, tried to get back to just because we we happen to be getting back together virtually. He's up in Portland. I'm down here. And I love the guy's company and 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 curiosity person cast and all that. And uh, but he's, you know, 9-11 conspiracies were, as it were, a bridge too far, is how he put it. Mm. This otherwise a very precocious guy, very, very willing to examine. Yeah. But isn't it crazy though? But, What's that? Isn't it crazy how you have these people that are so like exploratory and yeah. free thinking, yeah. but yeah. it's like, like how, how's that a cap on free thought if you're a free thinker, you know? That's it's <laughs> almost, it's, it's as it were Edenic. Do not eat from the, not the tree, this tree of knowledge. Do not have draw fruit from this tree, from everything else. You're welcome. <laughs> and this this is this seems to me quite simplistically the formula of our um, our organs of propaganda in the United States. You know, you you look at all of what you are furnished in this this first among equals, still sterling, perhaps smudged and bruised democracy. But look what we do not actively censor. Uh, we do not we do not this. We do not that. Um, you know, and look, all of this you can have, but this, this one tree, do not, do not question the, pharmace <laughs> the pharmaceutical industrial complex. Do not pose questions like uh, Free Thinkers Forum is willing to host. You, you can only, you, you can pose them, you can only go so far. And because your people you would otherwise count on mm -hmm. will turn on you like so many Agent Smiths. You mm -hmm. thought, they were friends. You thought they were colleagues, but you turn around and an instant later, they got a loaded pistol to your head. Don't say another thing or I will symbolically erase you with my bullets of scorn, derision, mm -hmm. um, hurt feelings, uh, uh, sort of snarky contempt, um, sort of don't make me unleash uh, my uh, don't let don't force me into the zombie horde uh, that uh, that I can become. Mm. And then the radical isolation of you, me, and others, which are more and more legion, 
and more and more otherwise than where we thought we'd find them showing up on Tucker Carlson. We don't have to love and trust and all of that of them or much less give them a hagiography. I completely agree. And we should probably have measured distrust and suspicion. But to Jimmy Dore's frequent point, he'll talk to anyone willing to talk about Medicare for all, willing to talk mm -hmm. about these things. He'll he'll talk with anyone and he reserves the right at the end to be skeptical. So you'd like him to take more of his own medicine. I respect the point. We have to realize that as with neighbors I have across the street who would introduce himself to me as, you know, the classic of the arch conservative, you know, retired professional white guy. <laughs> Matt, I want you to know that I'm right wing of Attila the Hun. Is that going to be a problem? <laughs> you know that I have more to talk to with my neighbor, Bill, on issues, Kiko, we've spoken about and that he would be in, in, in way more disposed to talking to me about than my otherwise uh, erstwhile hitherto um, uh, ideological kin and colleagues. I have more mm -hmm. to talk with this person at this point in frank, candid discussions and find more common ground, although ob very obviously things that we don't, values that we don't share, but that, but that are much less relevant than the values we do share. Mm -hmm. and, and this has been Doors' mantra. I will stick to it to his credit. Mm -hmm. Where find values I share, of course I'm going to talk to someone. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't I talk to them? What possible reward other than a furtive, smug, virtue-signaling piety am I being paid off mm -hmm. not to talk to them? Mm -hmm. Your point taken is, is he constructing persona at this point more than he is engaging long form anything that he he rounds everything off back to persona. And I think that is a great get and a legitimate criticism. Yeah, that's that. That's the only. And it's just. Um, yeah, that that's that's kind of where I'm at or whatever. And that's fine or whatever. Like I he's almost gotten to the point where he is a. He's not mainstream media, but he's big. I mean, look how big Rogan is. Uh, well, I, he's a he, fraction of Rogan. He's uh, yeah, he is, but he could eventually become something that's like on a smaller scale. But basically, they have very similar types of audiences in lots of different ways. They do, they do. But then you have Russell Brand, who mm -hmm. who right, who's interviewed with both of them. Right, Rogan and Endor. He's another one that I kind of put in that. Um, like I know all these people you're talking about. I kind of, but I'm almost I'm almost closed up to it now because I still think that a lot of that is driven by. Is it personality? Like, okay. Okay. I, I'm struggling well, with that. That what you just summarized perfectly. Like you you exactly um, encapsulated what I was thinking. Yeah, they're not going they're not Glenn Ford. <laughs> they're not, and they're not going to be Glenn Ford. Right, uh, right, right. That doesn't mean they don't have in, integrity. It doesn't mean they don't have sincerity. And, 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 you know, Glenn Ford did not reach 11 million people. 
uh, on just subscribers to say nothing of of relists and reboots like Joe Rogan, who can reach 40 million on the regular. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'd rather much rather hang out with Glenn Ford. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to I'm going to learn a lot more from Glenn Ford. Mm -hmm. I'm going to think much more integrally with Glenn Ford. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to force magnify with Glenn Ford um, in the way that is potentially going to happen with Joe Rogan and seems to be happening with Joe Rogan. Um, and mm -hmm. that's that's not a nothing. You know, that's ain't, you know, every movement, every movement's karma keepers, Glenn Ford, had to make do with the hustlers um, because they knew how to get some get some shit done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, what we got to work with right in this world um and so I'm grateful if for nothing else that their 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 um their counter narrative it has some amplitude to it. You know, yeah. it, it has amplitude. It it's it's not whispered. It's got amplitude and it's got frequency. And that jams up some of the signals getting back to a matrix analogy uh jamming the signals and as morpheus would put it you know our pirate signals you know transmitting the best we can to whoever is out there picking them up and when you got signal jammers like um like a guy like rogan and then you know door is to your point really kind of a spinoff in some ways uh, uh i mean door i think preceded rogan but he is certainly aping rogan's approach in, in some ways, though Rogan sticks very much to the long form and Door does not. It's Door's more in the political. We actually talked about this specifically with uh, my friend Tyler King. He's a personal friend of the family. I think it was episode seven. He came on and we talked seven or eight. And we discussed this um, precisely uh, about um, the audience types of, of these, um, the, the Jimmy Doors, the Russell Brands, the um, even the Kim Iversons, the Tulsa Gabbard crowd, like you have those types of um, groups and there's a lot of political variance in the country and just that crosses all types of um, demographics. Um, and I think the, the struggle is that I kind of understood that, like, because I've been this type of mindset for a long time. And so, but I can see where maybe that's refreshing for people who are newer to sort of opening their mind up to different changes in the world of politics and culture. But um, for someone with me, I guess, I think once you get established enough, it almost becomes stale after a while. And it's like, for me, that's how Jimmy Dore got to me. He, he became kind of stale after a while because I saw the same playbook over and over. Yeah, like, okay, yeah. I get it. Like, I get it. Class yeah. lines. Like, he used the same analogy when he talks about Chris Malls and unionizing the workers in New York he uses the same line every time about sure. you don't throw the Trumpers off when who want to unionize you don't throw away the, the libertarian gun nuts you don't throw them away if they agree with you on the issue I'm like I get it dude like I get it you know it's like how many you times do you want to say that yeah it's, it's like he's used that example like 20 times I've seen in his interviews and stuff and that's all I'm saying is that I think that if I have people who are like pretty much Jamie Dore fans, 
and like he's like their main option. And I'm like, okay, that that presents its own set of problems. If you follow Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum, and I'm the only source of your information or the main source, then I would question your sanity too. And I'm and this is my platform. I just think that you need to be as free and open as you can. Because when you get limited to one outlet, that creates its own set of vacuums and issues. You know, I think of it in some ways, considering your really incisive points here, Kiko, helping me think through some stuff. And I, I okay, so I'm going to jump back to the Matrix, man. There's my, there's my comeback. But where, you know, Neo is uh, trucking in the black market of virtual simulation. So it is this gaggle of, Lost Boys and Girls comes to his pad at one point, the girl with the white rabbit, yeah, on her shoulder. Mm -hmm. And he had just received signal, his first signal from Morpheus, follow the white rabbit and knock, 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 Neo. The opioid crisis. The, the need under conditions of toxic cultural tyrannies to inoculate oneself um, to self-medicate to, yeah, I don't think we can, I don't think we should at the farm. I think we should realize the pharmacology of all that extends exactly to your point that, Hey man, I need my Jimmy Dork hit. I need my Joe Rogan hit. I need my, this hit because it's, that's what it is. In some ways, that is what it becomes. Now, to Rogan's credit, although he sound bites his stuff, right? His stuff is fed on for clickbait and all sorts of 10 minute, 15 minute, 12, 9, 8 minutes. Keep your attention right? span because it's so low as it is. Because your attention span is so low because I got to get to Jimmy, man. I got to, <laughs> you know, get, I don't have much time because I got two jobs and four kids and, a, you know, a dog to bury. And I mean, I was like, so I really think people are kind of, I can relate to this, you know, and pretty uh -huh. more isolated we get, you know, and there is no Morpheus. We don't get any follow the white rabbit to destiny, man. We're stuck and, in, and incredibly alone mm -hmm. um, yeah. more and more. And COVID, the COVID lockdown just was an orchestration that was seamless for at the very moment when, um, you know, people had reason had shared purposes with the declining economy and the um, the blowback of the 2008 uh, gasoline fire uh, produced by um, the right the quantitative easing that just forestalled the imminence of more of the same but spectacularly more catastrophic circumstances. Uh, you know um, the opioid crisis corresponding with that. You know, come on, people. Yeah, knock knock. And and the and uh, there's with with all of that there's nothing to talk about as the fourth industrial revolution, which which also much of this noise very like the noise of the 1920s and 30s was covering up was the move to the second industrial revolution of that would give us the permanent war economy after mm -hmm. World War II, yeah. and the public had to be subdued from their skepticism mm -hmm. about the imperial gambits. Of the Spanish-American War, um, and uh, you know Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders uh, uh, to the World War One, so they were still weary of uh, an America succumbing to the imperial gambits of Europe. They were still weary. What happened? 
the big one comes along mm-hmm. and Roosevelt's New Deal comes along to you know, inoc- you know, convince them government is there for them. My grandparents, otherwise very conservative Southern Baptists, were, you know, Roosevelt Democrats. I don't think they ever voted Democrat again, but they were Roosevelt Democrats because, you know, he, est- he did something that they couldn't imagine. An elite, one of their own, would endorse their most treasured causes. Causes that had been around for decades since the beginning of industrialism in the country, but finally could not be refused anymore. Could mm-hmm. not, right? And yeah, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. Um, how did that happen? Why did it happen? Was it as much a propaganda move by what was going to become the New Deal? A keynote incident that mm-hmm. that, that could not be lived down by the same old... Um, uh, the same old laissez-faire uh, crowd. And what the New Deal did was consolidate labor into the purposes of management. Oh, wow. Perfect. Yeah, the you're big, right. <laughs> the, big, the big buy-in sellout that the National Labor Relations Act inaugurated on the one, a Trojan horse, on the one hand, conceding to labor what it had been begging for, fighting for, dying for, for decades in the country. Now it finally gets legitimated before the court. Mm. Now it's law of the land. But the under the table trade-off was you no longer, you labor now are no longer gonna ask the big questions about production the big questions about your stake beyond wage slavery to the lords of production. You no longer are going to have wildcat strikes. You're going to give due notification. You're going to you're going to come to the table with good faith. You know, you're still going to be you're going to be inextricably part of the machine now. That's the trade-off. That's the grand bargain. Fast forward. We need a new grand bargain for the fourth industrial, mm-hmm. which is the inter- not just the Internet of Things, but the Internet of our bodies, biometric tech. A new bargain. You're going, you, the public, are going to have to accept chips. You're going to have to accept passports. But wait a minute. We need a pretext to shatter your consciousness of what you were before. Ah, what would that pretext be? What would work? Well, as with the... Um, uh, project for the new American century, staying the private for the quiet part outside out, out loud in their uh, position paper to this effect. You know, we're going to need something big, something along the lines of a new Pearl Harbor, because there's no way the American public will accept a gambit post-Soviet for the United States to dominate the world otherwise. Fast forward to COVID. Mm-hmm. There's no way the American public will accept Vaccine passports, green passports, carbon credits, not just for corporations, but for individuals, as with a social credit rating system, coming to us sooner than later, modeled on China, denied everywhere that that's the intention. So we needed a pretext. Mm -hmm. Families against families. Neighbors against neighbors, not unlike the Civil War. Nothing I've seen. I was too young to see 
really see closely the protests of Vietnam, but I don't think they come near the divisiveness of what's happened with COVID. I, I may be wrong, mm -hmm. but from the standpoint of deep-seated antagonisms, I don't I don't know any way it's something to consider. I, I think it goes into um these people are so good at capitalizing on the moments. Uh, I think that's what it is. It, it does feel more intensified. I'm only 40 years old, so I don't have a, a lot of life to sort of um, think about as far as these different stages of propaganda and and this mass delusion. But um, I think it's very intensified. But I honestly felt like that after the George Floyd protest. Like, I, me personally... That's when hysteria kind of hit me, but then it wore off and I realized, but even though I took that really hard and I was really just bombarded with just all the mainstream, just all the, just friends texting me like, are you okay, Kiko? Like seriously, just like I got all kinds of stuff during that time period, you know, just people I hadn't heard from in 10 years would send me messages during the whole time period. You know, every black person, in the country was all of a sudden, you know, like I gotta be, I gotta have another black friend. I mean, <laughs> I'm not trying to trivialize it, but I, I have to just say that to myself now. Like we, we seriously trivialized like a moment and, and they increased more police funding. You know, it's like the whole point is like it's police brutality. So let's give the police more money <laughs> as a political um, angle and, and just show how dumb the population is. Let's just give the police more money, even though they're saying defund the police, let's just give them more money, which I think was always part of the plan anyway, just to, you know, install another, you know, set of agendas or whatever they had going on. And I was thinking on the other side before that even happened, that was tied into the election, obviously. Um, Dr. Rasmus yesterday brought up the point of, um, you know, with Biden being in office and the acceleration and the escalation of the war, which we know that he's a known warmonger, but people aren't putting these things together. They're, they're looking at, oh my gosh, but I got to support the blue team because that guy's a Democrat, so I got to support that side. And I'm like, do you not see the, the connections between your party and the corruption and the history of puppeteering, of warmongering and war profiteering over all these years and you don't see it how republicans and democrats do the same thing and it's just, they're all connected together and it's and and it's destroying our country our economy and it's destroying us because now we've created vacuums and echo chambers where we can't even talk to people because the deep state has told you who you can talk to and who you can't talk to and it's just it goes back to everything you've been saying and um i i I wish we could talk two more hours. I, I definitely want to bring you back on, but um, I have I have somewhere else to, to go right now, but um, sure. I wanted to leave it to you the last uh, minute or so, if you had like a final conclusion or any final words, and how can my audience get in touch with you in case they had a question or a comment, what would be the easiest way to get in contact with you, Professor Witt? Sure, Kiko. Um, first, I want to bring back to your attention, what I posted in your chat, Agnetology, um, a substack of uh, Toby Rogers and reference to the book material. I think it's right up your alley, Kiko. I'd love to 
get with you on that material. I had a chance to read it. I just ordered it myself at some point. So the manufacturer of ignorance. Um, and the the intersection with what you just gave testament, which is deep and abiding, the deepest and most abiding human needs for uh, fraternity, closeness, um, bonding, um, and in the face of trauma that gets recycled just when we thought we had some mastery over it, we had some whatever it is, and uh, there it is blown right back up in our face. There's a lot of actually reasons to question the whole manufacture of the Floyd incident, um, beginning with his affiliation with a cop alleged to have killed him, working as security guards together, um, and would have to have had foreknowledge of each other beforehand for that matter. These little leaks that come out that mm -hmm. fracture again our sense We'd rather be, we. it's almost as if we'd rather relive the trauma because we know how to survive that than to crack open the manufacture of that and face the premise. There are people so evil, there is a force so evil and malevolent in this world that without scruple, so profoundly without scruple, would do that to people over and over and over again for purposes that have nothing to do with anything other than the propagation of more evil. And it's at that point, really, that you have to entertain premises about Satanism, whatever is your ontological disposition, metaphysical or otherwise, towards God and so on. The premise of an absolute evil, at some point, you're forced to confront. It, it, you, you're, you're forced to face that. I'll close on this. Back to the Matrix. The, one of the most spectacular images I have from that is the penultimate scene where he goes to the machine city and finally confronts the consciousness in its in, in unmediated and what is it how does it materialize before him but as a buzzing uh, a buzzing constellation of tiny drone insect-like drones that he had just encountered being led up to the staging of this and how do they materialize a raging infant may recall a raging infant with a satanically inflected voice but it was an infant's face and i this may be a motif that's been used before in sci-fi now i can't i mean um terry gilliam's um brazil uh, uses the mask of an infant in a horrific scene of torture going back to the 80s mm. yeah it may be derivative it could be yeah it but it sticks with me that the malevolence is as, as without purpose or um, scruple like an infant given infinite power. I'm just gonna leave it there because plumbing the sense-making of forces that would unleash 
a um, bioweapon that would then use that as pretext for the suborning of civil liberties and the ruination of careers for those who dare to dissent against the orthodoxy with, with good reason, because everything they know about virology was contradicted by the rollout of the emergency. To say nothing of what we're discovering from all-cause mortality statistics of a dramatic increase in deaths across the board following the vaccine rollout, up to 40% across the globe, from numbers that cannot be disputed. Mm -hmm. What kind of consciousness can produce that? And I think for me, the, the, the change for me in outlook towards what is to be done is coming to terms somehow in my self with evil. I have been raised probably like you as an intellectual, weaned on all sorts of discourses that are radically dismissive of, of metaphysics, of, of, of sources beyond the ken of our rational capacity uh, to discern mm -hmm. and, and embroidered in all sorts of ways post-structurally uh, uh, to uh, um, enthrall us, right, uh, Foucault sort of um, acumen that can decipher um, the real. But again, in a kind of profound gaslighting because of the refusal to look over into the to look over into the dark and to really plumb the dark. And so for what it's worth, given that this is really this disturbs the psyche and shatters the sleep cycle, I don't want to belabor the point more with you here, but yield to the reference to agnotology as maybe Kiko, and I'd love your intellectual take on how that may be a useful way, because I'm hearing about it for the first time, and I thought I was pretty informed, but I'm hearing about this premise for the first time. Uh, uh, you know, ignorance is manufactured. And I, on the one hand, you and I both know that, but but how we could formulate that in a critical discourse and incorporate other intellectuals of our creed to begin probing, right? And steering the light over, it, if it could happen here and you accept that premise, good liberal mm -hmm. virtue signaler, <laughs> and you would have to accept that it could be steered here. Would you not have to? So Socratically sort of induct the blue-pilled person. Last point, when did <laughs> blue and red, when did blue and red state come around? Do you, do you, do you are you old enough to recall when it came around? I don't ask that rhetorically. I don't remember and wonder if it corresponded with the 2000 election. You say the blue to red state, just like the terminology? Yeah, the terminology. Yeah, I um, I wouldn't be able to tell you because, um, but I think that they just used the generational playbook, you know, because the boomers and the people that, can remember, I guess, would they be boomers if they remembered Lyndon B. Johnson and just that whole the Southern strategy and how the, the, the party split when the Blacks used to be more tied to the Republican Party and then you had all the Dixiecrats and the Southern states' rights people, all that switched during the 60s. But the blue state, red state stuff, I, I believe that's more of an 80s rendition. I, uh, that's what I'm thinking. I don't remember it going back that far at all. Maybe not. I, maybe not. I associate with much more recent, and, and I'm finally going to leave you with this: blue pill, red pill. Here's the thing: look where 
where I sit, and I want to keep talking about this, I feel like the conservatives in the country are red-pilled at this point. And these are people with whom I don't have much in common except a willingness to fathom the desert of the real. This I have profoundly in common with them. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Democrat allegiance is a zombie horde mm -hmm. of blue-pilled people who can't get enough of that opioid. They cannot get enough of that. I would love to know where blue pill, red pill originated because you see where I'm going. Mm -hmm. Red party, red state, red pilled. Whereas the red pill is a metaphor, a motif for fathoming the desert of the real and, and facing down all of that. If you can associate that with racism, homophobia, chauvinism, misogyny, if you can associate all things red with that, then any association with red-pilled starts to become negatively connotated. Mm -hmm. And I don't put it past that, in other words, it's the most simple algorithms that work. You know, when it comes to influencing people, it's got to be simple, stupid. And so I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, these algorithms, these psych, psychologized rubrics ginned up by the Rand Corporation 60 years ago in their torture experiments, they've been doing, they were doing the culminating with LSD and, and, and then MKUltra. This is, this is stuff they are masters at, masters mm -hmm. at, so that they are working up formalism, form, formulations like this to befuddle and beguile I think is worth considering, and and under the root whether under the rubric of agnotology, uh, deep state discussions or what, but maybe there's some concordance there, Kiko, um, worth us continuing to think about. I well, I want to definitely continue a conversation with you and I'll bring you back on for sure. Um, I have the feeling that it's going to be a different conversation, but I think some of the subject that matters we hit today. I'm pretty sure reading Norm Finkelstein's new book about identity politics is going to be um, more or less accompanying with that conversation we had today because I'm interviewing Norm next month. And um, I'm curious to hear what he has to say about a lot of what we talked about today as well. Very good. I'll look for that interview. Yes, um, for sure. I, it had dropped towards the end of um, April, but I wanted you to um, give my audience like any... Um, oh. As far as the information, like how can people reach out to you if they had a question? Sure or thing. I mean, they, um, I'm available by email primarily. I'll put it in your chat. So mwit at laverne.edu. Okay. Um, they can, if they don't want to go on channel with my institution, they can reach me at, that's my private. Um, okay. So I, yeah, that's fine. I, I trust your crowd. I, um, uh, absolutely, they want to reach out as a result of this and and expand the discussion. Happy to, happy to. I don't know if we need a code word or some kind of hand <laughs> hand off to them, but you know. No, <laughs> that's funny. But uh, no, I've had such a pleasure. This has been a fun conversation, a dynamic, interesting conversation, and um, I'm I'm really glad that we didn't exhaust the Ukraine Russia stuff because honestly. I almost feel like that is, um, you know, I have to be very centered and, and very calculated 
what I want to approach, you know, when I bring people on and stuff. And you can be the dead horse sometimes, like even with stuff that's really important. And um, I have a feeling that based on what we talked about today, who knows what the next crisis is going to be? Who are we going to, what are we going to be talking about this same time next year? You know, what is it going to be next? What's going to be the next big thing? Is it going to be the Ukraine flag on the Facebook post? Or is it going to be another country? You know, and that's not to ridicule people, but it just shows how people change all of a sudden, you know, and what sparks those changes, you know, just all of a sudden, just let's put this new banner on Facebook or Instagram. But anyway, my audience, I hope you all enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Witt, Matt Witt, that's at Laverne, uh, the University of Laverne in Laverne, California. Thanks so much for joining us, beautiful people. In store, we have Jihai Kilbing, um, a personal friend of mine. He's going to talk about uh, Cameroon, Arab, and um, Black African relations. We're going to talk about his dissertation um, that he wrote in 2018 as well. And I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation Thursday with Jihai, um, a personal friend of mine that's at McDaniel, uh, University of McDaniel in Maryland, Westminster, Maryland. Uh, have a great day. This was a great episode, 31. And I can't wait for the future episodes and Professor Witt down the road. Thank you so much again for joining us. Cheers, beautiful people.